But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. This is a special mailbag presentation. It is exclusively a mailbag episode. Thank you to everybody who's submitted questions. I've realized that we weren't very democratic with how we solicited them. I guess we did ask at the end of the last episode to send some in, but we maybe should solicit on Instagram as well next time. Oh, oh, because it was only Twitter? It was only Twitter. So, our bad. If... (laughs) <laughs> you didn't get an opportunity to be a part of this process. We won't be able to get to every question that was offered. Some of them we feel like we kind of answered on previous mailbag segments. Others, um, I don't know, we didn't feel like the, the spirit of the episode. Is that one way of saying it? Okay. Let them down easy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, we just are, we can't possibly get to every question. Yes. And I think the format of this is we have them all here on our agenda and we'll just alternate and pick one each and go from there. Okay, so no preamble. No, and you're going to go first. Oh, well, I'm going to start with the first one on the list. (laughs) Sam's Biceps, whose favorite players have all retired this year. Man, it's been a rough year (laughs) for the biceps. I, I mean, the biceps are still going strong. Sam is still very much with us on tour, but... uh. They gave us a bunch of rapid-fire questions, which honestly could have built up the entire episode. What is your favorite, most memorable Federer match not involving Rafa? I don't know if I have a favorite, because, like we said on the previous episode, he hasn't always been my favorite player. I think memorable is more appropriate for me. Mm -hmm. Well, that was part of the question. Mm -hmm. Well, favorite slash memorable. I'm telling you which side of the fence. Okay. So which is it? Which is it? I would say the 2019 Wimbledon final, only because while I didn't watch all of that match, I spent a good portion of it listening to it on radio, (laughs) which was an unusual experience for me, and I quite enjoyed it. All the match points and the end of it is really what we listened to on radio, and that was... An incredible experience. Yeah, it made the uh, the match point losses even harder to to understand. We were all rooting for you, girl. Yeah, that- we were we were rooting for Roger in that match. <laughs> what about for you? Well, I said it on the last episode the uh, the '09 Wimbledon final, ten years before that one, mm-hmm. where he beat Andy Roddick. Because I remember it, even my grandma was super into that match, and she wanted it for Andy so bad. And it just didn't happen. I remember, do you remember the stretch uh, during the dominant phase where he lost to Kanyas like twice? And then Kanyas got popped for doping? Mm. That, was no, an, I, that was an interesting time. I don't remember that. He was, Federer was unbeatable except for Kanyas <laughs> in that stretch. What are the best three songs on Renaissance? This is a hard one for me because the songs really blend into each other. It took me... I've listened to the album dozens of times now, and I still have trouble remembering the names of the songs because mm-hmm. I'm I'm a completist 
I like listening to it all together. Can I go first? Yep. For me, it's a clear-cut top three. And my favorite hasn't changed since the album came out, and that's Cuff It. Mm -hmm. Followed by Alien Superstar. And then my third favorite song on the album. Notice I'm not saying best because that's that's subjective. Yeah, we're not going to go there. But I really like Heated. Well, mine's not that different. Cuff It is just a jam. When I found out it was... uh, co-written by Nile Rodgers like I should have known that how did I not know that on, upon first listen so Cuff It Heated I love Heated and probably Summer Renaissance that one's one of my favorites too yeah so the ones that didn't make my top three cut Cozy Break My Soul I think makes so much more sense once you listen to the album it was great to begin with mm-hmm. when it was released as a single ahead of the album but now you see just how well it fits Church Girl, I like Move as well. I love the energy of Move, if I can say that. <laughs> uh, and like I said, Summer Renaissance. I, if I were to say one that I do not like, if that's allowed or even... Yeah, because I have one I don't like. One I that stands out. do not like Plastic Off the Sofa. Oh, that's surprising. I, I actually really like that song. Uh, I don't like I'm That Girl. I don't like the opening track at all. And you've been consistent with this from the jump. Honestly, I skip it every time. Sorry about it. And I know this is heresy, but I don't really love Virgo's Groove either. That, unfortunately, is simply an incorrect opinion. I (laughs) cannot let that stand. Is Sparkling Water overrated? Why is it rated to to begin with? To be honest, I don't rate it. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I've never voluntarily ordered a Perrier, a San Pellegrino, none of that shit. We use soda water to mix cocktails, <laughs> but by itself... That, that does not count. Uh, the Europeans listening are going to be extremely upset. I know. Like when we went to Europe and you're just given a bottle of San Pellegrino what am just I, because. What am I to do with And that? then charge for it. <laughs> like, I don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. When I first went to Italy, it was like, okay, well, I should try this because this is what everyone has. I just didn't understand it. Two more questions from Sam's Biceps. Who do you think will win the Oscar for Best Actress next year? I will (laughs) bow out of this question because I have not been paying attention. It is just October. It's October 1st, but it is heating up. Also, this isn't my bag, typically. I, I don't pay attention to this stuff. This is squarely in your lane. Yeah, I'm into the Oscar futures thing. So the trailer for Tar just dropped. I Never think yesterday. This is Kate Blanchett's star vehicle this year. Mm. She's playing a conductor, I believe. And I thought that this was based on like a true person, but it is not. The trailer is great. Everybody's saying she's now the lock for her third Oscar. It's it's very early, and there's a lot of competition. Michelle Williams was going to submit for supporting for Steven Spielberg's uh, semi-autobiographical movie, The Fablemans. Now she's going to be in lead. Michelle has been nominated four times. I think four times and never won. There's, who else is there? Wasn't she nominated for that Marilyn movie she did? And she was excellent. And now we were told there was supposed to be a, a nomination for Anna de Armas. Is that her name? Right for this movie that has turned out to be one of the most flogged films I've seen in recent memory. Uh, I am not going to see the film. Honestly, I hope 
that it doesn't result in a nomination. I'm just tired of the Maryland tragedy. Michelle Williams is one of the only actors who's gotten Maryland, like who understood what she was good at, I feel. I mean, some of the reviews for this film are some of the absolute worst I've ever seen in my life. Yes. To the point where I... Because people are angry about it. You know, oftentimes you read a bad review and you're like, well, how bad could it be? Also, you know, people are want to be haters. But this struck so many chords that would absolutely deter me from watching a film. <laughs> now, okay, so if Kate Blanchett is the presumed frontrunner, and I'm not assuming that, that's what the folks are saying. Michelle Yeoh is considered a lock for a nomination. She's my... I don't care what else happens this year. She's my winner. I want her to win. I don't care if Katherine Hepburn comes back from the dead. I want Michelle Yeoh to win this Oscar. But it is a really, really hard task for a genre film. Olivia Colman is in, I forgot what it's called, but a movie that Hollywood loves. You know, it's about a cinema in this English seaside town. The trailer is fantastic. And... Who else? So you're saying we're talking about a lot of films that haven't even come out yet. Exactly. Very few people have seen them, right? Film festivals have seen some of these films. My thing with Kate Blanchett, I love her, but we need to pump the brakes on giving people a third Oscar. <laughs> really. For a while, that was a very, very small club for a while. But now we've got Frances McDormand getting her third. And Three Billboards was a bad movie. She may have been great, but it was terrible. Kate Blanchett, let's give it a minute. Love her. Honestly, I would well, give it to her. How about you watch the film first? Sure, sure. But I actually really, really disliked her Catherine Hepburn performance in The Aviator, which won her first Oscar. Hmm. Give it to her for something else. She's phenomenal. Well, this is the story of the Oscars, right? Yeah. They yeah. ignore incredible performances and then give retroactive Oscars to make up for that Later yes. on, how many times do you actually say, well, this person was the right choice in a field of the right nominees? Right. <laughs> like, but I can say that, as usual, the actress category is loaded. It's much more interesting than the actor, the best actor And what category. is what is Meryl doing this season? I don't... Nothing, I don't think. Well, we do. Do we know? I don't know. I feel like we would know by now. Hmm. Let's, let's put Meryl on ice for a minute. I'm just saying, if she's in a film, she's going to get consideration. She is. Uh, on another episode, we can talk about the fact that it's possible that Kate Blanchett has been in more great films than Meryl. No, I'm not interested in that discussion. I'm not saying she's better. I'm saying she's been... No, I, I know what luckier. you're saying. I'm you just know? saying we won't have yeah. that segment. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Finally, from Sam's Biceps, what is your favorite dessert? Mm-hmm. You do not, you're, you are famous for not liking desserts. Yeah, you'll be happy to know. I, I will speak much less than I did on the previous question. I don't really, I'm not really that interested in dessert. Like a, a cheesecake, I guess, every once in a you while. You don't even like a cheesecake. Sometimes. You'll have a bite it's gotta or be, two. It's got to be firm. <laughs> it can't be one of those layered cheesecakes that the, the top layer is all foamy. Not and... whipped, not like Cheesecake Factory. And also I tried one of those Uncle Tetsu cheesecakes at one of your Christmas parties, that was terrible. I Well. It was as if you made a cheesecake with no sugar. Uh, it's surprising to me, because for somebody who is so 
indiscriminate with junk food. <laughs> True. Honestly, you, give me give me some gummy worms from the convenience store. You like cookies. Don't you? You like cookies? Like, I may be a snob about coffee or, or some things. If I'm at a restaurant, it, like, I would rather have convenience store candy than a dessert. Yes. Uh, for you, a dessert is sour gummy worms. Mm-hmm. These sour watermelon things that you've been buying Oh my recently. god, like the Haribo watermelons? Amazing. Okay, so what... No, but you, you you dropped the ball here. Your absolute favorite dessert ever is just a simple Betty Crocker, Duncan Hines, birthday cake. That's true. It has to be a Funfetti cake. A Funfetti cake. That's it. That's all mm. you want. Do not make me a cake from scratch. Because not you'll interested. eat all of it. Oh, from scratch. From scratch? Not interested. Because we have had instances where, as a treat, I've baked you that cake and you've eaten all of it. Oh, yeah, Like, within a few days. I only want it out of the box, and I only want the frosting from the little can. If you could put a straw in the cake, you would. (laughs) For me, I like a nice carrot cake. Mm -hmm. I like cheesecake. Um, Not a huge fan of chocolatey things. For a while, I was going through a dark chocolate candy bar phase Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've emerged from that ice cream i like ice cream it's not something that i crave or have to have um, but i like lots of different flavors Mm -hmm. i mean like you i'm not huge huge on dessert but i will have it like i think it's nice at the end of a meal to have some dessert and i often don't have it because you don't want to share anything and i'm not going to eat a whole dessert by myself Mm. what a tragedy Oh, we are going to alternate between these types of questions and tennis questions. Mm. So next, why don't we go to a question from Batter Boy JJ? Thoughts on Daria Savile's post-injury Instagram post? An interesting insight into the atmosphere on tour, or just too candid? The background on this is that while Daria was playing Naomi Osaka in Tokyo, she took a fall. It appeared that she had injured her knee again. And it was confirmed, unfortunately, the next day that she tore her ACL again. This was just the second game of the match. And then Naomi proceeded to the next round to have to withdraw. Right. From the tournament. This whole match was doomed. Indeed. And it's especially heartbreaking because Saville had gotten to a really good place in her career this year. She'd reached the top 50 in singles. Uh, She was a runner-up in Quebec a little while ago. Got to a really good place in her career again after years of struggling with injuries. Mm -hmm. And similar injuries. So she put on IG the next day. She said, quote, thanks to everyone who has messaged me. It means the world. On the other hand, I'm shitlisting all of my colleagues who literally saw me today on crutches in Tokyo and didn't say a word. It cannot be that hard to be a nice person. Just makes me sad, and makes me not want to go through it all again to make a comeback on tour and spend most of the time seeing these people. No. She Can was... you do that again in an Australian accent? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> she was going through it with this message. When I read it, I was like, oh, well, damn. Without putting any judgment onto whether she's right or wrong... She's in her feelings right now. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I looked at the message and was like, it me. (laughs) I I would totally, I feel like I would post something like that or at least think it or tell my closest 
allies that. You would tell I, me, then you would draft the message, and then you'd think twice about <laughs> it and leave it in the draft. That's true. When I was younger, I would have posted something like that. But I, I sympathize. She just went through a pretty catastrophic injury. She's staring down almost a year of rehab, probably. She's in her feelings. And if she passed people who wouldn't even give her a second look after knowing what she went through on court the previous day, I get it. I would be pissed too. Even if you don't know what happened. Because mm -hmm. I do believe it's a possibility that some folks wouldn't know. We know a lot of these women do not pay attention to women's right. tennis. And they might not know her history with injuries. They might be new on tour, whatever. But you see somebody... I'm assuming like, they know who she is. It, yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should think so. You see her on crutches. Damn. I mean, that's that's rough. I'd be, I'd feel a way too. Yes. Now, the question, though, was not whether it was a valid emotion, but was it interesting to share or was it too much to share with all of us? Or is it an interesting insight into the atmosphere on tour, which I feel is a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know... People who travel with the tour would know a little bit better than us, but a lot of the players are friends, but at the same time, they are competitors. There are the normal resentments and, and grudges and distance that you get in any social group, especially where people are competing for money and points. So I do think it's an interesting insight because it's one you don't hear that frequently. And it's not like, oh, women... Women are like this. It's not one of those stupid pick-me posts. It's just like, I was disappointed by my colleagues. Mm. I can't opine one way or the other. Because I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know who she's talking about. And nor would I be willing to make a, a larger judgment on the state of the quote-unquote environment on tour. Right, right. Well, I should say I don't think it would be fair for me in my position here, sitting mm -hmm. on this bench, to make that <laughs> proclamation. Bench. Let's jump to Naomi because uh, it's tangentially related to her. Colby Ace One asked us, would love your opinion on Naomi. What do you make of her season this year? Do you think she'll be back in form next year or at all? The people, or just me, would love to know your thoughts. Naomi's year has been rocked by this injury, right? This Achilles injury has been following her around. She doesn't seem to be able to get her body right over the last few months, so I want to acknowledge that before sort of making any proclamations about her career because we know that Naomi's peak is incredibly high like the quality that she can produce especially on hard courts is possibly second to none mm -hmm. actually I will say in the current WTA is second to none point blank period she reached the final in Miami losing Fairly convincingly to Iga Sviantek, which is not dissimilar to what's happened to everybody else on tour right. this season. But that final appearance, I'm sure we talked a whole bunch of hyperbolic mess on this <laughs> on this podcast saying, wow, what a moment. Well, it, Naomi is back. It was kind of out of nowhere. She's right? ready to, as she claims she wants to, do well on the natural surfaces as well. And then come summer season, she'll be rollicking through the hard court swing yeah and it just didn't happen she got this injury right away on the clay courts and it's been a string of first round losses and issuing walkovers and withdrawals right so a lot of 
commentators and observers are like, oh, she doesn't, she's just not that into tennis anymore. The fame has really uh, kind of weighed on her. And those, of course, are possibilities. It's just like not something that we can really say because we don't know her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a very small group of people who would really have insight into that. And those are the people close to her. Facet left. They split mm-hmm. ways on amicable terms. She's told us this year that she's not about the life of grinding on tour 20 weeks out of the season. That does not appeal to her. The part-time life, I know that's used in a derogatory way by a lot of people to describe Naomi and how she's, you know, said what she wants for herself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's just out. You can't be a, a great player if you're just playing part-time, whatever. But, I mean, this is what she wants. But I don't think that's incongruous with playing well when you do play. Right. And unfortunately, this year she hasn't really played well. Right. And part of it is injury and whatever. I'm sort of of two minds of this because I think we have to, we should learn from the lessons of Venus and Serena who said, we have a lot of different interests. We're not going to play every week. We're not going to play like Caroline uh, 25 tournaments a year. But when we show up, we're going to show up. And the other side of it is like Naomi has said some things recently that make me wonder if she really likes playing tennis. Hmm. And that makes me sad, but also I think that players should be able to be candid about those things. If, you know, not everybody likes this. This is a job. You can be a great player and this may not be your life's passion. So then the second part of the question is, do you think she'll be back in form next year or at all? I don't think there's any reason to think that she cannot come back to top form next year. The, the impediment, the most immediate impediment is health. And then there is her depressed ranking, which means that she'll be having tougher early round matches. Mm-hmm. She won't be able to play herself into form. But I think starting, if she's healthy, starting the year or finishing the year on hard courts, she'll be able to get some reps in on her favorite surface. But yeah. to, th- to think that Naomi can't do a training block have some good feelings, have a butterfly land on her arm and think, wow, this is destined, and then show up to slay? I don't think that that is unreasonable. Yeah. (laughs) Still on a hard court. She's 24 years old. She'll be 25 in a few weeks. She has so much time. It's ridiculous how much time she has. Do you want to see a Naomi Osaka who is able to win slams on all surfaces, get to double-digit slams, and be one of the greats sure she doesn't seem to want that i mean if she puts together another u.s australian back-to-back she's an all-time great right right? like she's in the she already has four and i'm saying that's a lot it is not a lot of people have four. and we've talked about this on the show if i were a current wta player i look at serena at 23 and what she had to go through to get there and what was done to her in the media discourse to get there. Mm. See all her suffering and trying to achieve it. And I'd be like, I'm good. I don't need that. I'm going to sit here, <laughs> count my millions. I'm going to try and do good in this world. Show up and play well when I do. And if, if something good happens, happens. But I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, for me, like the Cliffs Notes is 
I don't know what's in Naomi's head, but do I think she can return to top form? Yes. Do I think she will next year? Um, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. We have a question from at Sunfo Rubelix. I, I, I don't know if that's how it's meant to be said. I mean, it's not really a word, <laughs> but it's a, a few players' names. Uh, it's a portmanteau. Okay. Rubelix, the- as in Felix. Oh, see... I am. I feel too old to get that. <laughs> Sorry, I think I spelled it wrong. It's sinfo, like as in sinner. See, that's why it didn't make sense yeah, to me. Yeah. Sorry, you led me astray. The question is, what is your Europe versus World WTA lineup? I assume this is predicated on there being a WTA version of the Labor Cup, something like that. Uh, yeah, I think that was implied in the question. You don't have to get nasty about it. <laughs> I'm trying to have some clarity for the listeners. <laughs> what Not else would everybody it be? shares the what same would it be? level of intellect as you, James. <laughs> My God. Do you have an answer? I have a list of teams that I came up with. Do, do you? No. I re- so you mock me to start this question, <laughs> and then you're going to disengage I, and defer to me. I pay attention to Labor Cup on a very limited basis for three days per year, and then I'm done. So now I'm in the done phase. Right, but this is a mm-hmm. thought experiment where it's hypothetical. Mm-hmm. It's not real, and it's a chance to engage with, you know, the creative side of mm-hmm. your brain. Okay, so let me go first, because I'll be fast. Mm-hmm. To me, you know, Team World and Team Europe, they're not very meaningful categories to me. The distinction mm-hmm. is not meaningful. Because, uh, whatever. we I explained it on the last episode. What I would love to see, what a WTA Labor Cup could do, is show the true international character of the tour. We've got North African players winning titles. On Shabur reaching slam finals. Like, you, you have to use all corners of the globe, unlike Labor Cup. Mm-hmm. Right. We need. I don't care about rankings. We need someone like Zhang Chinwen in WTA version. We need South Americans. We need a Mexican, someone from the Indian subcontinent. Like, come on, guys, you got to do better. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to dovetail this with a question from Atman Doshi, who asks, should Labor Cup fully lean into being the best exhibition tournament that tennis has to offer rather than being this weird mix of exhibition and a legitimate ATP event, and also include WTA players, question mark? So to your point about the format, what I would do is move away from this being an official tournament. Let this be, let's lean into it being a cash grab, which is what it is. Mm -hmm. Let's lean into it being actually a, a declaration of talent, an advertising of what professional tennis is to the world. And on that note... I would appoint team captains that were players Mm -hmm. because I don't think that these captains as are currently set up add much to the setup. They were players. Well, pretty big ones. I don't, I don't (laughs) care what they're saying to the players. I care what the other players are doing. Like Rafa and you mean you would appoint active players? Yes. Players on the team. Oh, or okay. actually players. Though Nadal Federer coaching was the most in- interesting part of that dynamic. 
You know? It was, yeah. And so I would have a captain on each side. Well, not each side. I'd have two captains, and then they would just pick players. They would alternate, and they would say, I, Novak Djokovic, pick Ketsmanovic in my first pick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? So everybody has to be, like, ready to go. Yes. And they don't know who they're playing. Exactly. Okay, fair. But then you have to have a certain... If we're going to integrate WTA into it, if it's a joint event, then you have a certain number of uh, WTA players that you have to pick, whatever... Then it becomes an interesting dynamic where you are strategizing. Do I pick somebody like a Krejcikov or really high because mm-hmm. I know that they're going to bring it for doubles as well? So this is literally a RuPaul's Drag Race lip sync challenge. Yeah, like in the last mm-hmm. season where they had to pick their opponent based on you know who's been chosen first. Yes, and on to that note, we can have behind the scene cameras. The first two days, instead of taking pictures by the Shard or <laughs> by the River Thames. Which Annie Murray doesn't know. Doesn't know her. You see the players kind of lobbying to be picked. The trying to make it official takes away the interest for me. Yeah, to me it's... Well, we we talked about it. I find Labor Cup too try hard. What you're saying is you want Labor Cup untucked. <laughs> And you like you want Laver Cup on the Interior Illusions Lounge. Yes. And I'd like cocktails. <laughs> so what's your team? Oh, I still have to do that, right? Yeah. Well, so I'm pivoting between the two questions. The other question was just what is your Europe versus World WTA lineup? Uh, yeah. So if I'm sticking to the assignment, my world team, I tried to go with players who are young and then having some veterans and then also people who are good at doubles, and then also having varied representation from around the world. Okay. So on the world team, I have Coco Gauff, Ons Jabeur, Daniel Collins, Ayla Tomljanovic, Zhongqin Wen, Leila Fernandez. I went with her over Bianca because ain't no way Bianca should be trying to handle this workload on her fragile body. (laughs) Like, that's just not a wise setup. (laughs) Did not pick Naomi because I don't think that she would this come. is part of her part-time <laughs> plans. <laughs> Haddad Maya has earned a spot in this conversation and also to represent Brazil and South America. Mm-hmm. And then I have Zhang Shui to strengthen the doubles core. Yes, that's smart. So I picked eight players from each team. And on the Euro side, I have Krejcikova, probably the most versatile tennis player there is. Kaya Kanepi, she can chop down your top, top players on mm-hmm. the world team. Caroline Garcia, now top singles and top doubles player. Alize Cornet, I feel like she would thrive in the mess that could be created in this kind of format. Samsonova has earned her spot, figuratively. I mean, this is all hypothetical, but like she's a top player now. Sviantek. Uh, obviously. The number one player in the world. Have we seen her in this kind of setup before? Uh, I think no. that in itself would be interesting to watch. Yep. Pliskova. And then to bring in some youth, one of the Fruvirtova sisters, be it Linda or Brenda. All right. And in this setup, you no, have... No Sabalenka. No Azarenka. No Kazatkina. Uh, no Raducanu. No, I do not want to see Raducanu in this <laughs> And also, setup. the United Kingdom did uh, depart the political arena of Europe, still part of the continent. So, But 
Sorry, UK is disqualified. Completely. Sorry, Andy. Uh, this team setup, I think you try to get as many checks as possible, given their mm. Fed Cup slash Billiging Cup prowess in the last decade or so. So that's my answer to that question. All right. I've lost track of whose turn it is. Do you know? No. Uh, uh, we have done a few tennis questions in a row. Do you want to shift to a non-tennis question? Sure. Let's get this out of the way because when I got the question, I was just dreading the response. And then I saw you make notes on the agenda. And then I was like, oh my God, here we go again. What? What have you all been listening to? Music or podcasts? Watching TVs or movies? Or reading? And I just knew this was going to be another rambling on horror movies again. <laughs> this question is from Little Gnome 16. Thank, it's such a great question. I don't know why you're being rude about it. No, it's a great question. I just know the horror part. And yeah. that in itself is a horror for me. Uh, I'm a huge horror fan and I've been really interested in, in it over the past few months. It's been a great year for this genre. And what that looks like is I work weekends... And you do not. I don't have so anything to do. So on the weekend, you either find a horror film on Netflix or the internet somewhere and you watch it. You probably watch at least one a week. Yes, probably. And or go to see one in the cinema. Last weekend, I watched Barbarian. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but I will say this is one of the most incredible uh, what is, like trailer bait and switches that I've ever seen. It's not the movie that I expected to see. It was so much fun. It was gross. It was funny. This is honestly one of one of the most enjoyable horror movies I've seen in years. And to speed through this section, the others you have listed are The Black Phone, Nope, and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. All, all great in their own way. The Black Phone was such a pleasant surprise. Was actually, like, emotional. And affecting. It was well-written. Uh, bodies, bodies, bodies. I guess we do have to mention the controversy between the New York Times reviewer and Amanda Stenberg. The critique was mind-boggling to me because the accusation that oh, it was... Oh, that's what it was? Yeah, like that, nine, that film? 90 minutes on Amanda's cleavage. Mm. And I guess the cleavage wasn't for me because I don't really think I noticed it. I was actually watching the film. Mm. And it wasn't gratuitous at all. Like, there was no sex in it. It, it was such a weird critique. Anyway, the movie was fun. Um, I also liked X. I didn't love it. You didn't have that listed here. No. You can't talk about it. I expected to like it more, I guess. And now they have this sort of origin story movie called Pearl. I'm not going to see that. But I will say that actress is extremely unnerving. Mm -hmm. So for TV shows, something we recently watched... And it's been on our radar for a long time. We've, we knew about it when it came out. And when I saw that Lip Gallagher was in it, <laughs> I was like, uh... Yeah, you're not a fan. It was that. also a restaurant setup, And I was like, uh, maybe a little bit too close to home. But listeners, it is one of the best new TV shows we have seen in years. It was so good. Are you going to name it? Eight episodes was not nearly enough. There will be a second season. It is The Bear. It was so, yeah, so it was, good. It was excellent. They even did kind of an experimental episode where they did really long takes and it felt uh, kind of theatrical. But I feel, I don't know if you feel the same way, because I've worked in restaurants 
for a while as well. I don't anymore. But very few movies or TV shows like can get the frenetic pace and understand the the nightmares, the li- like the actual nightmares that you have about constantly being behind. Uh, if you've worked as a server, you know you've had those nightmares. Yes. Where you're just trying to sleep. You think you're sufficiently tired. You're going to have a peaceful night's sleep. And you're kept up all night by wondering why you cannot get your food to your tables. For one. <laughs> yes. Like you're literally spinning around, running around the restaurant, and you cannot get anything done for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Freud would have a field day with these dreams because they're always unfulfilled. You never get the food to the table, if you know what I mean. There was a time... You're not going to touch that one. No, I'm not (laughs) going to touch that one. (laughs) I mean, I had these dreams for years, but I think once I absolutely made the decision, and it was a conscious decision, to just not bring anything home from work, Mm -hmm. then they kind of stopped. I still get them every once in a blue moon, but like... I'm done with that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like once I clock out, I'm I'm done. Absolutely done. There was this one line in there where I forget who says it. It must have been it must have been Lip, right? Carmen, mm-hmm. who was saying, you know, there because he suffers from these dreams in the TV show. And he says, you know, that moment where the place is on fire and you pause for a second because you know that if you just allow it to burn, all your anxieties will go away. Mm-hmm. But then you just put out the fire. And that's what being a server is, really. You're just constantly putting out fires. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever felt more seen professionally but than also, in that one. But also hoping that the place would burn. I Figuratively and literally. I dream about burning down my <laughs> restaurant all the time. <laughs> no, for legal reasons, uh, that's only a dream. It's subconscious. Can't control it. I would never uh, do that. But Never. it was it was a fantastic series, and uh, what else? We've been watching Mo, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. The good, good fight is back. The good fight, of course, which has gone even darker. Well, full Gonzo in the final season, and they've always been pushing the form and everything since Good Wife. You know, this was their their chance to make a really experimental drama, TV drama. But this season is very bizarre. I can't even tell. If it's real, actually. Or if I even like it that much so far. Mm-hmm. I feel like the writing isn't as good. But honestly, I would go to the moon and back for the Kings. I would watch anything they do because I love their series Evil as well. Right. I'm, I'm here for the ride. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, while I'm willing to give them the grace of seeing how it plays out, it's been a tough pill to swallow in spots so far. Yeah, fair enough. And listening, I haven't really been great about podcasts since the pandemic, honestly, because I no longer have a commute. Uh, I've really been enjoying Rolling Stone Music Now podcast, which is hosted by Brian Hyatt. He had a very long interview with Mariah Carey, and to my mind, it's the best interview I've ever heard from her. She was... I mean... The interviewer knew her music, asked very specific questions. She was so engaged. It w- it's just a fantastic listen if you want to know anything about her process as a writer and a producer. And yeah, it it came to be because of two main things. One being her being so much more comfortable in her own skin now, and also her knowing that this person was a lamb and was prepared. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the combination of the two just made for dynamism. 
Yeah, and Rolling Stone has not historically been kind to her or to pop princess princesses in general. But we're now in a time where music criticism is reassessing pop, right? Like it's sort of trying to give more more respect, more importance to pop music and reassessing things that they trashed back in the 90s mm. and 2000s. So this is a good time to be Mariah Carey. <laughs> um, it wasn't a good time back then. She's getting her flowers now. Yeah. So much so that Pitchfork named Fantasy Remix the number one song of the 90s. Yeah. So somebody tweeted... Uh, that the all the editors must have died at Pitchfork because <laughs> it, that is a regime change, is what that is. And Mariah's talked about this constantly over the years, specifically with respect to the scammies, that critics in the days that she was coming up scoffed at popular music, at the songs that were the most popular of the day. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to find some obscure indie singer-songwriter guitar song for it to be, you know, substantial. Yeah, and the Grammys especially. Right, Right. and like you've said, there's been a a revisiting of that way of thinking lately. Uh, Yeah, don't even get me started on the Grammys. Back in the 90s, you know, who was winning Album of the Year? You got Steely Dan, an album that nobody heard of. You too. But now, look at the nominations of the Grammys every year. And it's most of the biggest pop artists are nominated for the top awards. I think this is a good segue into our Mariah segment. <laughs> Whereby... Actually, the rest of the episode... It, no, I'm... <laughs> Tennis Sings asks us to pair any five players, current or former, with a Mariah track that would be that player's theme song. And you ask for five, I've got nine. <laughs> wow. I have one. I didn't really well, do the, my homework. <laughs> the nine includes your one, so you can get started. Oh, okay. I chose Always Be My Baby for Grigor because I, and this would is like, more about you. I would like him to always be my baby. This is more about you than him. But I also think it's just a song that it, he's sort of corny, right? And It for sure would be on his playlist. Oh, he's totally. re- He's revealed a playlist before and that shows us that this is... Right up his alley. And he'd probably get, like, really in his feelings about the song. So I, I thought mm-hmm. it was a good choice. I think that GTFO, Get the Fuck Out. Mm-hmm. From her newest studio album, Caution. November 2018. <laughs> one of her best records. I think it fits that Australia told mm-hmm. Novak Djokovic to... Please. Take your things and be on your merry way. <laughs> wow. We're still on that? I'm just saying. I can feel a one-star review is being written as we speak. It's a matter of historical fact. Right. We are doing the assignment here. You're not condoning. I have understood the assignment and I've completed it. (laughs) Butterfly, spread your wings and prepare to fly. If you should return to me, we truly were meant to be. How many separations did Jem's life have before they reunited? That's so good. And it's stuck. Mariah's theme, Can't Take That Away, from the Rainbow Album, Mm -hmm. which featured Mariah singing in front of many, many, many TV screens that featured inspirational people for this inspirational song. And one television set had Venus and Serena on it. 
And this was back in 99, right? Mm-hmm. That's when the album came or out? Or maybe the song came out in 2000, but the oh, album okay. came out in 99, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's right up their alley, really, with the schmaltzy, inspirational stuff. I feel like Serena, especially Venus, lean heavy on that, you know, you can do anything kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. This one is a little bit out of left field, beautiful. Mariah and Miguel. Mm-hmm. For no other reason, I pick Garbinia Muguruza because I can see her dancing in that dress that Mariah wore in that video. <laughs> I can see in her doing story. it. I can see her doing it justice. <laughs> Outside, one of Mariah's most personal songs, which she has told us that uh, is inspired and directly related to her being biracial and her childhood growing up. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be Diana Yastremska's theme song. Wow. Need I say more? I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) If it's over, big soaring ballad, just let me go. Yelena Ostapenko, shaking hands at net after a match. (laughs) (laughs) Just let me go. (laughs) Why are you so obsessed with me? Applicable to Nick Kyrgios in so many scenarios. Mm-hmm. Casper Rude, The Big Three. Pablo Carreño Busta. Logic. The Chair Umpire Fergus. I mean, so many people. You could replace Mariah's depiction of Eminem in that video with her doing Nick Kyrgios, <laughs> and it would fit. <laughs> and then The Distance. Love Love this. This should be a modern classic, and I'm really upset that it didn't break through on radio. Said we couldn't go the distance. Essentially, haters doubting a relationship, right? Okay, who is it? Andre and Steffi, going oh. 20 plus years strong, seen as kind of an oddball coupling, started in '99, and here they are, decades later. Okay. You were toying with going with Crybaby, but you didn't want to be too mean-spirited about it. I just love Crybaby so much. I was singing it up in my room earlier. It wouldn't be right to make fun of someone crying. So let's make fun of someone who whines. Chapeauval. (laughs) I feel like there's a long list of characters that could... Uh, After this week, you could add Mute to that. There's always some drama in his matches. You want to pick a question next? Okay. You guys are now doing tennis commentary as part of each slam's official coverage. This is hypothetical. What are the green room perks that you ask for? This is from Daydreamer Oz. That's part one of the question. Do your green room perks first. Mine? Yeah. You want anything special greeting you in the green room as you prepare to go on? Can I have a cocktail? Yeah. Yeah, sure. That would be it. I mean, you want to remain professional, of course. Are we not professional on this show? Well... I wouldn't put it on TV. Let's say that. I don't think I'd be very good at a commentary job where I'm just straight up calling matches. No, I would have to be like kicking and... Yeah, it would have to be a different kind of format. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that to begin with. Mm -hmm. I would like some gummy worms, a bottle of Prosecco maybe, Mm -hmm. some sparkling something. You know, I'm not picky. It doesn't have to be Moet or... You're, You're not picky. No, I mean, it doesn't have to be an expensive champagne or something. I just love sparkling whatever. Because you are Champagne. For the record, you are picky. Right, but not expensive. True. Mm -hmm. I don't need much, really. Maybe some coffee. 
some snacks, some Fritos maybe, and Prosecco. Fritos and Prosecco, what a nice pairing. The second part of the question is, how will you diplomatically call out your colleagues for bad takes? This is a great question because it is easier said than done. Mm-hmm. And we, we've we called out a lot of people on the show and rarely do you ever speak to those people. But it has come to pass that we have met people and even had great interactions with people who we have called out very directly on the show. <laughs> it happened in the first season. I mean, okay. So when we were first getting started, I don't think we never thought we were going to meet any of these people. No. Right. And like, listen, some of our first episodes still only have like a couple hundred downloads. Right. I, I we were nobody did not expect anything from this. And when, you know, when Ben Rothenberg wrote the famous body image story, ahead of Wimbledon in 2015. Or you're giving some behind-the-scenes stuff now? It was, you know, we recorded a pretty scathing episode. And a few weeks later, we actually met Ben in Cincinnati for the very first time. (laughs) And I thought it was going to be horrible and awkward, and it wasn't. Right? So it's possible. And it's happened since with other people. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, if you're both working in the same workplace and somebody says something you find objectionable how do you address that and that's that's a really tough question i think what you hope for is that your colleagues have thick skin Mm -hmm. because it's a profession that you make mistakes we make mistakes all the time and i think something i try to live by is understanding that i'm not perfect and when i do make mistakes and when they hurt people you own up to it yes it's like a simple basic tenet of life Now, the tough thing is, like, let's say you worked for Tennis Channel. Of course, there are people who you, you know, they say something and you're just like, "Eh, maybe you should do better next time. There are some people I think are legitimately bad and shouldn't be on TV. Mm -hmm. And with that, I guess avoidance is the only option. (laughs) But if we get ourselves into that kind of scenario, I think you have to, from the start, before you become too conflicted out, address things as they happen right away Mm -hmm. so that you do not become seen as a hypocrite or picking your spots that this is just how you operate that it's not necessarily personal but if something bothers you you say it and you have to be diplomatic and tactful and and be generous and having some grace with other people's feelings as well but you also need it's a Mm -hmm. reciprocal thing you need to have people willing to engage in an honest way yeah. Right. So my my main concern would be, and this is not coming from a place of, oh, I'm just going to tell it like it is. It's going to come from a place of, well, this really doesn't sit well with me and I cannot in good faith move forward without saying it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I would take someone like Chanda Rubin as a model because she has called out colleagues on Twitter and she can back it up, right? She's very very good at commentary she knows what she's talking about she comes to work prepared she knows what the standards are there are very few black women in commentary she's got to be good right but i think that she's been very principled over the past few years and i really respect that and i think that's where the diplomatically comes in Mm -hmm. yep like when you are principled then diplomatic becomes less coded and fraught. Mm -hmm. Less diplomatic with Lisa Raymond, but that needed to be shut down. (laughs) And 
her sidekick's fake Twitter accounts. That needed to be shut down. Oh, yeah. The summer of 2020 was a blur, but I remember that quite clearly. All this to say, it's not an easy thing. We're, I'm, we're under no delusion that this would be an easy thing to navigate. You just got to set yourself up for success. You can't be your own, wait for it, inner saboteur. (laughs) (laughs) I think what, you know, pick your battles is a cliche, but it's so important. Like you cannot die on every hill, but we we are not playing at these takes, right? Like we have kind of a set of ethics that we abide by. This isn't just to be different. I'm not interested. I would never be interested in being, having that be a career and shutting my mouth on things that bother me, right? I I don't want it, if that's it. It's not for sport. Anything we opine on, it's something we've discussed fairly extensively behind the scenes. We are fortunate as a podcasting duo in that we are able to bounce those things off each other in real time and have access to each other and each other's thoughts all the time. (laughs) <laughs> too much but we can work out some of the kinks yeah in each other's thinking which is helpful mm-hmm. and in that vein i have full trust in your thinking your ethics in you oh so i don't you. have to worry about where you're coming from in what you're saying mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yeah will kazda asks what is the most nerdy non-tennis thing about each of you I thought a fun way to get at this question would be for us to answer it about the other rather than about ourselves. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So the nerdiest things about you, I think fantasy sports are pretty nerdy. So we'll start there. <laughs> uh, and because you're very studied at it and you want to be good at things no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. So it, you don't half-ass it. No. You know, so that's that's nerdy. I mean, nerdy is not a negative thing, by no. the way, at all. We definitely um, do not take it to be the other thing. Cricket, cricket is nerdy, inherently nerdy. Indeed. Come on. I mean, look I at, rebuke look it. Look at the freaking pinafores they wear. I'm they're not quite. <laughs> but I rebuke the cricket it. sweaters like the test whites. Come on, it cricket is nerdy. I suppose the fact that I wrote a master's thesis on cricket doesn't really help. <laughs> you're, My... you're not helping. And your tendency to go down the rabbit hole of subjects that you're interested in. Being a lamb is not nerdy, but like the, the degree that you take it to is impressive. Mm. The encyclopedic knowledge. And I'm not even one of the most... Encyclopedia. Right. I mean, some of these lambs, they got bootleg VHS tapes uh, from like 1992. For you, I think your unending quest for knowledge (laughs) (laughs) is my best quality. Thank you. I agree. Is the nerdiest non-tennis thing about you. I've joked on the podcast before about how much I've suffered at at the hands of your Did You Knows. Mm -hmm. And I, I haven't always been enriched by them. You should have been. That's a choice. That is your choice. I would also say that one of the nerdiest non-tennis things about you is your slight pretension when it comes to music. Yeah, fair, fair. And you were a music minor in college for a spell. Mm -hmm. I didn't finish it. You played 
the tuba, the oboe, Lies. the you know trumpet. What I played, you, bitch. <laughs> you played the clarinet very well, so much so that you probably could have gone to college for clarinet play. You, I don't, I don't know, but I don't think I've ever heard you play clarinet. <laughs> but I'm told you were exceptional. Okay, and I, I think it dovetails with what I know about musicians and people who would go to college to study music, that there is a certain level of pretension that comes with that. Yeah, because you're, I mean, you're educated in classical music, too. Mm -hmm. like In such a niche, niche area that lay people, certainly tone-deaf people like me, have no access to. (laughs) (laughs) Literally tone-deaf people. I believe strongly that everybody can learn. You were deep into the Beatles catalog at 12 years old. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> While the rest of us were out here listening to Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs> I was listening to that too. Rest in peace, Coolio. You're uh, you're going on like a lot. There are a lot of things, huh? That you're nerdy about? Yeah. I mean, you went on about me too. These are not bad things. These are good things. I they inform your personality. I mean, I could tell I could tell you all of them. Mm-hmm. The probably the nerdiest and the most obsessive and the most annoying to me is your obsession with public transit design (laughs) the inability of public transit to function in the way that you think it should Mm. be they roundabouts be they (laughs) subways buses pedestrians vehicles Mm -hmm. everything Abolish streetcars. Everything about getting from one place to another is a fraught experience for you intellectually. Do you know why? Why? Because it could be so much better. (laughs) It could be done so much better. Then why are you in HR, James? Why are you in HR? Because I don't have a degree in urban planning. (laughs) I have no expertise. This is really what you should have done. I have zero expertise on this. I just have a lot of opinions and a lot of experience. The nerdiest thing about me is that I was super into maps when I was like six years old. I could, I mean, I knew where every country was. I knew all the capitals. When I, was, I would just sit there and read an atlas in my room. I was such a nerd. On that note, another thing that you're super nerdy about is trivia games and trivia board games. I don't play, like the I only, don't play games. The only game that you will play is Trivial Pursuit mm-hmm. because you're guaranteed to win. Is that true or false? It's semi-true. <laughs> I told you I have stopped playing games because I don't like that side of myself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't like being competitive. I've always told you, and it's no slight to my intellect that you're the smartest person I know. That's not true at all. How many? Of I you... don't. I don't want that put out there. I don't see it as a bad thing. You're a very learned, smart person. You're not brash and stink about it. But I could name you ten people that I know in my life who are way smarter than me. Well, I don't know them like that. <laughs> I don't know them. <laughs> anyway. It's about having a well-rounded education, okay? A lot of people are smart in science, one thing, don't know the ways of the world, you know, from a a liberal arts perspective. But you've got it all, James. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference is that, like, I could do surgery, right, (laughs) if I studied. But could surgeons do what I do? You're taking it too far. (laughs) You're taking it too far. I will not co-sign that. We've got, I think by my count, seven questions left. Back to tennis, Molly Tiger asks, of the big three, play what if one of them never picked up a tennis racket, how many majors would they each have won? So in this hypothetical, let's say that um, Nadal never played. We just have Federer and Djokovic. 
would they would they have taken Nadal's 21 majors and divvy them up between themselves? Mm-hmm. Or would tennis look absolutely, completely different? This is the dilemma with this question, right? Your immediate instinct, if you're one of those tennis bro statisticians on <laughs> tennis Twitter, is to then go through the head-to-heads and Wikipedia and look at how often they played each other in slam finals or championship weekend. Mm-hmm. And then try and make some deduction from that. But that angle and that approach necessarily discredits how each of them may have pushed the other to be better by playing each other. Mm-hmm. Which is not something that we can quantify at all. Yes. And so this exercise, not only is it futile for me, it's not something I'm interested in. And I'm thankful because then I don't have to do the work. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great, like, it's a very interesting question. And my answer to this is more abstract, mm-hmm. right? It's that there's no way to possibly know. Like you like you said, you can't parse head-to-heads and you can't remove these people from the draw and then see what happens. It's like if Rafa Nadal never existed, Roger, it's not like Roger would have won a calendar year Grand Slam every year, right? Like things would have been different. They made each other better. Djokovic wins the Australian Open, what, in 08? There was a bit of a gap until his next one. His rivals made him better, forced him to be better. He could have coasted at his extremely high level, but he needed to bump it to an even higher level to compete with these guys. Yes, but I do think there is a solid argument to be made that Federer is five to eight slams shy of where he would be without Nadal. All but those, would, he, that, would he have played this long? Would he have slipped on the grass and fucked up his knee in 2010, maybe? Like, anything, literally anything Right, but it's, it's a clearer picture for him because he didn't win that many in the 2010s. Right, right. After his 30s, he didn't win as much as the other two guys. Yes. And so his imperial phase was, uh, was taken down a slight peg. By those Roland Garros tournaments. Sure. With Nadal right. starting to win in 2005. Right smack dab in his heyday. Mm-hmm. Also taking that 08 Wimbledon final. Like, I, I can I can see the argument for maybe five for him. But other than that, I, I'm not necessarily willing to engage. But to your point, right. it's, a, it's a very good question. It's a good thought exercise. Mm-hmm. Like you, uh, you were sort of getting at. I mean, if Rafa wasn't there... In a few Roland Garros finals, Roger, I mean, who else is beating Roger on clay at that moment? At that time, he Probably was the best nobody. player on every surface, save for Nadal on clay. Yeah, yeah. So you could have maybe had a calendar year slam or two. two we talked about it on the last <laughs> yes. episode that he could have won like 10 in a row. He had, a, he those, had a chance, right? He was yeah. in 10 finals in a row and then eight finals in a row. Andre Dragomir asks... What are your thoughts on Irina Begu, newcomer of the year in 2011, and why she never really, quote, made it? I mean, this question kind of hit us for six. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, stumped us? Kind of bowled us over. Kind oh, of there, stumped us. There are way too many cricket <laughs> metaphors in here. I said stumped, not meaning, you know. But there you go. I didn't know that Begu was the newcomer of the year. Turns out you are a bit of a cricket nerd as well. Yeah. Andre was persistent with this question, which we respect. Mm-hmm. 
because we were not bringing a lot of insight to the table. I'll be honest about that. For whatever reason, I had Begu in my mind as somebody who was a, a huge nemesis for Venus. And until I looked at their head-to-head today, I would have sworn that they played six times <laughs> and Venus played like six three-hour three-set matches yep. against Miss Begu. It was just literally the one that we were at. The torturous, <laughs> rain-interrupted one in, in Toronto yeah. at the Rogers Cup. Uh, but as you said, Newcomer of the Year in 2011, the same year that Milos Raonic won the same award. Hmm. That's a long time ago. That's 11 years now. Begu is now 32, a career high ranking of 22, currently ranked 33, never made the second week of a slot. Well, I guess if you're counting fourth rounds, she's made three of those. Yes, never that made, counts. Never made the quarterfinals of a slam before. She's won five singles titles, nine doubles titles. That's pretty accomplished That's for somebody. Pretty good career. We would never have guessed that, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, and to answer your question, Andre, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. This is outside my expertise. But we wanted to acknowledge that the question came in and it was a good one. It's uh, It just would require a lot more homework. A lot more watching Begu matches. She's somebody who has been there or thereabouts a lot at different stages. Down in the rankings, back up in the rankings. You always seem to see her name in a draw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Okay, back to non-tennis. Slice Run asks, after the pasta discussion... Okay, some people were listening for the pasta conversation. You wanted to cut it. <laughs> you were like, this is disgusting. How how can we even I, leave this on air? I think that's a little dramatic. Anyway, they ask, I'm now curious what both of your favorite and least favorite breads and cheeses are. I was not ready for this question. Because you're Italian and the bread thing I mean, is... It's a big thing. Bread and... How, we just had this discussion. How could you go wrong with bread or cheese? I was going with to my work, approach. I was going to work the other day and you popped across the street for a coffee and you came back with a with big, a long, baguette-shaped bread. Yeah, it was, it's sourdough. And then you're like, well, I'll, I'll, we'll have this for dinner. And then I come home and there's pasta to go with the <laughs> bread. And I'm just like... How many carbs, James? I know. Italians are wild, right? You're, you're because like, they will cook pasta and then force you to eat bread with it. You're like, you're not going to have any bread? You're not going to have any bread? Like, no, I don't want the bread. No, but it was so good. And I figured out how to reheat it without, like, making it tough, you know? I, I anyway, trust it was good. I will, I'll tell you, like most things, I'm not fancy. I like straightforward, like, Italian breads with mozzarella with prosciutto, oh my god. Or that's... mozzarella, as your family says. <laughs> yeah. Or mozzarella. <laughs> Which was part of the authenticity of the bear. Because mm-hmm. when they were calling for items in the show, oh. they would drop the A on all the Italian mortadelle. things. Mm-hmm. Mortadella. Well, I don't know. I do not get mortadella, by Calamar, the way. Mortadella. Calamar. <laughs> mortadella. Yeah. Mozzarella. But that is not... I don't know where the extra O comes from in mozzarella. Oh, like the ooh vowel mm-hmm. instead of the oh. Okay, anyway, that's not the question. Okay. It's cheeses and breads. Yes. I like, honestly, I love any bread that doesn't have shit in it. Like seeds. Do not give me nuts or berries or I, that's terrible for me. But I love bread. I've been, during the pandemic, I like ventured into baking bread, which is super fun. I'd never done that before. Yes, as in you did the entry level. Yes, the easiest focaccia. Mm-hmm. And it turned out well. Yeah, though. you did it well many times. 
Next, next is a challah. I want. I really want to make a challah. So if you all have any tips, please let me know. I'm totally fine with fruits in my bread. I love. I know you are. You're Jamaican, of course. I love a raisin bread. Grew up eating raisin bread. I love hardo bread. Having a chicken soup, a homemade chicken soup, and dunking the buttered hardo bread in it. Chef's kiss. <laughs> I I love brioche. Yeah. At this point, the bread thing is more about sandwiches. And I don't like sandwiches, for the most part. I think they're basic and boring, but they serve a purpose as like a quick on-the-go lunch. And so I would like my sandwiches with hard dough, with brioche. I'm fine with a plain old whole wheat bread, too. That's okay. Mm. I don't need it too fancy. As far as cheeses, it's taken me a long time to decipher the taste in cheeses and know which one is which. I know Swiss has holes. (laughs) For me, cheese is cheese. A mozzarella Except has a very mild taste. It, it has no taste, pretty much. It has a lot of much. moisture. Yeah. yeah. Except for tasty tin cheese. Oh my god. Like, that stuff is crack. Which is hardly should cheese. Should be illegal. It's priced as though it's illegal. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, uh, Jamaicans eat bun and cheese around Easter time, which is like, uh, you know, a bread with fruit, dried fruits and nuts in it is the bun. And for the cheese, you eat like this basically like a processed cheese that comes in a tin it's like Mm -hmm. it's orange Mm -hmm. and to get it in north america i mean you're paying like 50 bucks for a tin because of the import fees and that's a type of cheese where you just cut a slice a wedge and just nibble on it like a rabbit like a rat (laughs) you don't even have to have it as part of the bun and cheese but that's it other than that like i'll any old cheese that has a boldish flavor that's not that's not artificially spicy Mm -hmm. i can dig as is tradition with these mailbag episodes, we have an FMK su- submission from Shola. Via email. Mm-hmm. I hope he didn't want this to be private. I don't think so. <laughs> He's done it on a Twitch session before, or a oh, Zoom set. I feel yeah. like people know that these are his. Yeah. This is titled Retro ATP Baddies. Tongue in cheek. Because one is definitely yes. not a baddie. <laughs> one is a blandie. I will quibble with the category the categorization one is definitely yeah. a blandy <laughs> it's bjorn borg yannick noah and pete sampras i'm torn here i'm very torn because i would like to f and m bjorn and just be done with it listen i will tell you why you do not marry bjorn because you do not want to go through the multiple bankruptcies oh that's at what true. stage of that his life true. are you getting on the bjorn bandwagon and if it's now when he's rich and secure You've missed out on young yeah. headband short shorts Bjorn. He had a few divorces. and yeah. But then the other option is Yannick, who was a French pop star. Like, I don't want to go through that either. To marry Yannick? Okay, you could be father, <laughs> second daddy of... Uh, oh, Joachim? Yes, of <laughs> a famous NBA basketball player. You'd have access to another professional sporting lifestyle. Sure, and I like basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. And I'm so sorry, Pete. Like, it's nothing against you, but Pete has to be the K in this scenario. For many reasons. Like, you can't marry him. There's no way on earth I'm going out to eat dinner multiple times over the course of my adult life with a cheap tipper. Allegedly. No, absolutely. Allegedly. It would, I would die from embarrassment. Allegedly. Allegedly. And Andre made the accusation very publicly. Still allegedly. There was no proof. In there was writing no proof. And, <laughs> and IRL. 
So Pete is just persona non grata for know. me all I mean, across the board. I mean, Bridget Wilson Sampras has a, seems to have a very nice life. Rich wife of a famous legendary athlete. I don't know. Mm. It's looking more appealing now. <sighs> yeah, I feel like it's in that order for me. The FMK, Bjorn, Yannick, Pete. Yeah. Kvitty Cat asks, What in the world has happened to Garbinia Muguruza? In parentheses, and as a Kvitova and Krejcikova fan, will it last forever and ever? More seriously, does Kanchita need to go? I hear Pliskova is looking. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> there is so much in this question. First of all, Kvitty Cat, you know Pliskova is always looking. Uh, <laughs> and... As a Kvitova and Krejcikova fan, you know that tomorrow is another day. These are all players who go through ebbs and flows. Petra, I mean, Petra was at her lowest for a while and found a revival this we year in Cincinnati. We can always count on Kvitikat for a Petra-related, if not specific, question. I love the on-brand questions. Uh, but I would say, like, if you're rooting for Garbinier know that she has these dips, these extended dips in form, that she won the WTA finals less than a year ago, and that she can get it back, just like Petra. I think the jury's still out on Krejcikova. I want her to, to come back. It, like She's in a final tomorrow. Right, and it was not long ago that she was the number two player in the world. She was a top singles player for a hot minute. She's for been, a very short she's been period, injured. Yes, for a spell. But her, you know, her consistency as a singles player—it's not really something we're used to yet. But as far as Garbinia, I would never advise somebody to keep or fire their coach because I don't know anything about their relationship. I th- and also I love they seem Conchita. To, I think they're cool. They seem you know? to have a great relationship, which I think serves its own purpose to the overall well-being of a player on tour. Yeah, and that and that the the worth of a coach should not just be wins and losses. I feel like Conchita has proven herself well, and her worth as a coach, and Garbinia has proven her inconsistency <laughs> across many different coaches to the point where it should necessarily reflect on Conchita. I get you, I I do, but but a coach's job is to help a player win, and a coach's job uh, could be. To help them navigate life on tour and that's, to be a source of comfort as well. That's Daria Abramovich's job. That's not a coach's job. Coach- Coaches wear many hats. Fair. And some refuse to put those hats on. Just like you refuse to wear your Montreal Expos retro hat that I bought you. <laughs> anyway, I think we all know that sometimes players are quick to replace their coach because they think that's going to fix everything about their career and it doesn't. But I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to have a break and come back. Look at Simona and Darren. They've broken up and come back so many times, like Liz Taylor and Richard Burton. That was another um, consideration for Butterfly in the Mariah theme songs. Darren and, <laughs> oh and Simona. You know, Liz Taylor had eight husbands, but two of them were the same person. So uh, I spent it's a, a similar situation. I spent a lot of time watching Garbinia practice in Toronto, and she looked good on the practice courts. It, that stuff doesn't always translate to matches. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is. She is the type of player who has shockingly poor runs of four. And she could come back and win a major or win a big tournament kind of out of nowhere. So I say hold out hope 
for for all three players you mentioned. Two questions remaining. Wimbledunce, Wimbledunce asks, what are your favorite Halloween movies slash TV shows? And questioner and listeners, there is only one answer, and that's <laughs> Hocus Pocus. I cannot believe I sat down on the couch last night and after I suggested us to watch the new Hocus Pocus movie, mm-hmm. Hocus Pocus 2, you turned to me and said, I didn't know you were into Hocus Pocus. It's one of the the rare few genuinely shocking interactions and moments <laughs> that we have after 15 plus years together. Uh, like, how do you not know this about me? Sure, but every literally every Halloween, I'm like, let's watch Hocus Pocus. And you're like, no, I don't want to. Well, that's because I don't like rewatching things I've watched before. Okay, so my point is that you liked it in 1993. And I've seen it many times since. Oh, okay. I have. Just like... Am I going to sit at home and watch it when I could be out having dinner and cocktails? Well, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be yes and. Anyway, we watched Hocus Pocus 2 last night. It was fun. Of course, I mean, it wasn't the original Hocus Pocus, of course, because there's all this nostalgia wrapped up in it. But I thought they did a very good job as a sequel. It was nowhere near as good as the original. And I'll tell you why. It did not have the emotional heft built into it with the story of Zachary Binks and the stakes Zachary Zachary Binks (laughs) and the stakes of what's gonna happen if we do not fell these sisters Mm -hmm. you know oh like there wasn't a real stakes no nobody was in danger no okay I got it um but it was fun it was fun and I thought the performance of the three returning witches was amazing I thought they were great yes I am shook that Bette Midler is 76 years old. Like, yeah, I had that's, no cra- idea that's crazy. She was that old. Sarah Jessica Parker, just like she was back in the day. Kathleen Jimmy, comic genius. <laughs> Her <laughs> performance with the Roombas. Well, I knew a vacuum had to be in store, right? <laughs> and you could see that maybe they're pivoting to make this a, an ongoing franchise with the storyline and what have you. I thought it was enjoyable for what it was. I don't think it was great. I don't think it was as good as the first one, but it's a. It's a an okay addition to the would be franchise. Okay, I would definitely watch it again. Like it was, it was enjoyable. Hannah Waddingham had sort of a cameo as the, I guess she's like the original witch. I loved. They had almost like n- nods to Robert Eggers' The Witch with the 1692 Salem, and they disappeared in the Forbidden Wood and everything. It was kind of spooky. I like that. Yeah, but that's it. We don't really watch any other Halloween. And of course, Halloween. The OG. Like Jamie Lee Curtis slasher film, Halloween. What's is he? a class? You you don't like that no. stuff. But no. I have watched that film many times. Is- I think I just was scarred by watching Arachnophobia as a child. And that I just called it <laughs> called it a career. For our generation, I think that's that's one of the common ones. And oh, and Roseanne's Halloween episodes. Yeah. Do you remember those? Those were good. Those are really good. Those Back good. when Roseanne was like, okay to watch. Finally, do either of you play tennis? Sharice asks, can you tell us about your tennis games? Do you have a playing style that resembles anyone on tour? Yes, I play like Serena Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, so we haven't played in a, in a minute. In a long time. I've, uh, you know, I've had some injuries well one injury myself so i cannot play at the moment but 
we did for a while. I'm more of a baseliner. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I love hitting forehands. I love hitting two-handed backhands with a big follow-through. I you want like cross-court shots. Yes, I naturally hit cross-court. I want so badly to be better at volleying. It's just I never like I had I didn't take tennis lessons. Like I I don't know how to play tennis. I taught myself and friends. We I played with friends as kids, so I never like learned how to really play. But I want to I want to be like a baseliner who can finish up net. Yeah, exactly. I never took lessons either. I'm also self-taught. When I started playing tennis, I was a Navatna fan. And servant volleying was still a, a fairly big part of the tennis game. And so I love volleying. Love being at net. Feel totally comfortable. As to whether I'm good at net, that's another, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I have arguably the world's worst forehand. I cannot hit a yeah, forehand yeah. cross to save my life. Pretty much every forehand is down the line or up the middle of the court. You don't have a big back sw- Like you hit like chippy shots. Well, and if I try to hit a typical forehand, the technique, I have no idea what the technique is supposed to be. Nothing feels natural. I just would sooner hit a chippy choppy forehand and get to net. Mm-hmm. On the backhand, I discovered that while I always hit a one-hander, mostly a slice... I can hit a, a one-hander topspin backhand, and I, I'm i okay with hitting a two-hander as well. The backhand is so much more comfortable for me in tennis. And I think I have a pretty decent serve. Yes. I foot you, fault a lot, do. I'm told. But that's who, something to work on. Who cares? We're, yeah. we're just okay. messing around. Like Right, but if you... Who told you if, that? Dan, when we played in Charleston. Lies. Lies. It so happened that I beat him 7-6 after having not played for a couple of years, and he's like a ranked player But does he tennis. have... He, does he have eyes on the other side of the court? He can't tell. Well, he saw what I was doing while I was playing CC Smooth 13. Oh, okay. And he said, you're foot faulting. And you're like, <laughs> is it that big of a deal? But then we played a full set and I won 7-6 and I had no business winning that. And it's one of my greatest sporting achievements. Oh. And I sealed it with a Serena Williams ace out wide, oh, which is probably course. the only time I've ever done that in my life. <laughs> As you always say, I like to finish with a flourish. And I was like, well, you know, let me try this. I've never... Mm-hmm tried it never being able to execute it i'm like well maybe this is how you do it and i did it and i just laughed did i laugh i laughed to myself (laughs) it's like this is what greatness feels like (laughs) see how intoxicating it is it is and this is why people don't want to retire see why these tennis players are so toxic that's (laughs) (laughs) like i just miss hitting i do i really don't care about playing games i don't care about being competitive or I actually don't like that part of it. Mm-hmm. I just want to hit. That's so freeing to me. It's so much fun. I hate that part of it. <laughs> I just want to hit a few balls and then start playing games. Oh. And I have a pretty complete game except for having zero forehand, I would say. Uh, playing you is like playing Shesue. Right. But when I say... Do I, when I, when I want to have fun, do I want to run my ass off for two hours? No, I do not. <laughs> I enjoy the competitiveness of it, of tennis, because it's just you figuring mm-hmm. shit out. You know, something's not working. You try something different. You learn something new that you never did before, and you do it amazing. This is the end of our mailbag episode. I hope this has been a nice little diversion for everybody, that you've been able to have a few laughs, 
maybe uh, gained a few insights into us as people. Mm-hmm. At the very least, it was it was fun for us. Yeah. Spoiler: It isn't always fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's okay. Uh, we we fake it's it till we make it. Something that we all need to be honest about. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is the Body Serve. You can find us everywhere if you go to our link tree at linktree.com slash the Body Serve. You'll find a link to our merch, which we now have pet bowls and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. We haven't solicited reviews in a while, but if you have a five star review in you, please share it. And if you don't, please don't. Tell it to your ma. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Till next time. Thank you very much. <laughs>